This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Nice to see the sun out. It's a little bit crisp and cool today, and the temperatures are going to take a dive, as you just heard Brian Medor explain there. Good for those backyard rinks, which have had a hard go of it this winter. Um, I know a few people with backyard rinks, and wow, it has youngsters haven't been out very often, I can tell you that much. But um, maybe now is your chance. Well, February 5th to the 11th is White Cane Week in Canada. The Canadian Council for the Blind uses White Cane Week to raise awareness about the challenges faced by Canadians living with vision loss. Our guest today on On Target is President of the E.A. Baker Chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind, Karen Young. Hello. Hello, Linda. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today. Well, I'm so happy you could join us. I guess we'll start with some of the basics. Um, What is the Canadian Council for the Blind? Well, the Canadian Council for the Blind, basically our mission statement is it's a community of peers who work together to act and um, create uh, awareness and independence for and a better overall life experience for those living with visual impairments in the community. We've been in existence for 75 years and support many programs such as advocacy, peer support and sports and recreation. The latter being the bigger piece. (laughs) Right. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that when we get in. But so how does it differ from the CNIB then, for instance? Well, lots of times we do partner with the CNIB and they've been very uh, gracious in giving us uh, a home to house our our meetings in monthly and hopefully going to be partnering with them uh, for various initiatives upcoming, such as going into the schools, uh, you know, creating some awareness, etc., um, basically, it's it's more of a community-based. Uh, we have about 50 members who are all have various degrees of vision loss. And our, our focus is mainly to create uh, other activities uh, for them. Um, we have an executive of five of us, uh, you know, president, vice president, second vice chair, and treasurer. Um, we uh, CNIB is great. They have wonderful uh, programs, but they offer more um, programs and services for folks living with vision loss. We're more um, targeting the advocacy and the, and the recreational piece, getting people out and about and integration. So keeping them engaged, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people love to get together. It's a, a lot of it is very socially, you know, integrated. But yeah, people love to get together and, and you know, finding a common denominator between each other and working as, as one team, basically. Because I would imagine that vision loss, uh, especially over time, um, can be isolating for some people. It most certainly can, and a lot of people, um, you know, are not gainfully employed as well who have vision loss. Um, Not any fault of their own, but uh, it's just kind of a fact. And this gives people an outlet to get together and, you know, create friendships and be engaged with one another and also being able to do things, taking the dis out of the ability and making it focus more on the ability piece. 
Absolutely. So you're president of the E.A. Baker chapter. Who is E.A. Baker? Well, E.A. Baker is is just a title for our chapter. We have various chapters throughout the Atlantic provinces with our national being in uh, based out of Ontario. Um, so this one has been in existence for 75 years, to my knowledge. And um, again, we're, we're basically focused on the ability piece and, and getting people together. We're always looking for new members. Uh, and we're nonprofit and volunteer ran. So we're always looking for volunteers to help us with our programs. So that's amazing. So you've been serving generations. We have, indeed. Before my time, mind you. <laughs> I've only been in charge for about a year or so, but been involved with, with um, EA Baker as a member for probably seven years. So I got elected last year, and, and it's, been, it's been a blast. It's been really challenging and, and fun and rewarding all in the same breath. Um, we have a great... Uh, diverse membership and these guys are just amazing to work with and to work for. How did you get involved? Um, somebody came to me actually and asked me if I would like to join and we have meetings uh, once a month and we do you know outside of the the normal business stuff uh, with any organization we uh, we let people know what's happening in the community. Uh, we plan things um, outside of of the business piece. We we try to plan some recreational activities like you know pizza nights, trivia nights. We have dances every quarter. We do a lot of fundraising, and we also have sports has been a, a big thing for me. I, I'm very active and I like to be active. And there's not a lot of organizations that integrate visual impairments with sports. So we have an Atlantic Sports and Recreational Committee whereby every year we hold a sports weekend for visually impaired and blind individuals. Last year, St. John's hosted it, and it was a huge success. This year, Miramichi is hosting it, and every year one of the Atlantic provinces hosts this type of event where, again, it brings together people who uh, are visually impaired, who are very interested in sports, and, again, volunteer-assisted. Um, things like, you know, um, we have um, different activities outside, like as well as swimming, um, track and field, uh, darts, crib tournaments, uh, talent night. Uh, you know, we have a big banquet, a dance, and it's all about allowing people to take part in sports. Again, very volunteer-led. And I want to ask you more about that because I find it fascinating um, how to accommodate uh, people who, with visual impairment um, in, in the sports realm and to keep them competitive and keep them active and keep them having fun. Uh, and I want to ask you a little bit about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is president of the EA Baker chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind, Karen Young. We'll be back right after this.
Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Our guest today on On Target is the president of the EA Baker chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind, Karen Young. And you've been telling us a little bit about what the CCB does. And in particular, and I find this fascinating, is uh, the whole aspect of sports for people with vision loss. So what kind of accommodations are made for people with vision loss who want to participate in sports? Well, you know, Linda, it's really very simple. We have it kind of in our head, but we need to physically orchestrate it. So with the help of a volunteer, uh, we're able to do that. So, for example, even with um, um, darts, we had newly acquired dart league. So it's as simple as a volunteer putting us in the right position, lining up our arms and telling us either higher, lower, left or right to shoot our dart. So it's very simple. Um, same with um, curling. Same thing, telling us, you know, how to, where to where to kind of brush, whether it's right or left, keep it straight. Um, similar with bowling. Uh, bowling, we have rails that allow us uh, to guide ourselves down the aisle for our our. Um, hopefully to shoot at our pins. <laughs> but just little things like that. It's it's mainly um, putting us in the right direction. Um, same with, uh, like, washer toss, for example. Someone is, is at the booth for our target, and they would hit, so make a noise, right, so we can figure out what direction to throw our, our toss towards. So it's all about, like giving a beacon, a noise, same with hockey, it's the same thing, a puck with with, with a, a chip, a computer chip in it, making a beep, beep. So it's all about the audio for us. The more we can zone in on a target, if you will, um, the more successful we'll be. I know someone who used to play ball hockey, actually, with uh, someone who had vision loss, and he was part of a, a league of players with vision loss, and he used to play with people who didn't have vision loss. And there were a few differences in the game, uh, in the plays and that sort of thing. From time to time, he'd, he'd say, oh, okay, we don't do it that way. All right, no problem. We do it this way. Uh, so there, the game essentially was pretty much the same with some accommodations, I guess, some minor changes to the plays. Some little adaptation, like I know for go ball, they have a, a, a ball, I think it's about the size of a soccer ball, and it has bells in it. So obviously, if you hear a ball coming towards you, you know where to target it, right? So do you find that the people who participate in the sporting programs are new to sports or somebody who uh, always used to love sports but have suffered vision loss in the meantime? Um, I say suffered, but, you know, experienced vision loss in, this, in the meantime. Um, or all types? Bit of both, everyone. Even our volunteers really, you know, they really get into the game and, and, and it can get quite competitive. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, once once we have the outlet and and you know the ability again if you will uh, to be able to to do these sorts of things i mean it's it's very rewarding for folks I was thinking in terms of competition, and we know how it can get in sports. <laughs> um, if you have, so how many volunteers do you need? I mean, if you have one volunteer who is guiding everyone on that dartboard, someone's going to say, hey, wait a minute, you didn't, you know, or you did, or whatever. Do you have a variety of volunteers so you get rid of that 
suspicion, if you will. We we do, yeah, we do. We 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 can always use more. That's for sure. I mean, uh, the lines are a great help as well. I I would be remiss if I didn't mention them. Um, they've been a wonderful support for our our club and our community um, in many different ways. Um, so I mean, it it takes a number of people to make something happen right and you know our volunteers i can't speak enough on how valuable they are to us because they they help us be able to achieve many things um you know we have about maybe a handful six or eight volunteers in total hardly enough really when we're putting together something that's big like a sports weekend but um again we can always use more but yeah we we kind of rotate them are some sports yeah. easier to uh, accommodate than others? Um, some are. Yeah, like darts was very simple, as I said. But other things like, you know, like um, shot put and and all the, the track and field sports. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty much common sense, really, as long as there's a guide or an audible, um, you know, adaptation put into the game. Uh, you'd be surprised how easy it can be. And how accomplished does the guide need to be? Like I'm thinking in terms of track and field, I've seen the guides that run with runners, so they're usually extremely fit, of course, and, and are, are, are runners anyway. But uh, do you need to be, uh, you know, an accomplished at that particular sport in order to be a guide? No, no, not really. Um, as long as you're willing and, and able, obviously, if if you're uh, the more fitter you are, the the better you would would be, and and also the person you're guiding would be better at at the sports that they're taking on. Um, but no, there's no special training. I mean, we're not at a competitive level as such, an athletic level. It's really more for the fun of the game and the whole experience. Do friends and loved ones tend to be those guides because they already are helping their family or friends out anyway? Yes, uh, often often we do see that. Um, but we do have, like I said, uh, an amount of volunteers in the hopper that are more than willing and happy to come out and help us out. And some of them have been with us for an awful long time. Good participation levels in, in the sports that you accommodate? Yep, I would say a good 90% participation rate. I mean, they, these folks love to get together, and they, uh, they enjoy the things that we try to put together for them. And we're always looking for new ideas, of course. Um, but, yeah, they, they love getting together. And it's, it's a social outlet for a lot of these folks as well, because we have, as I said, um, some of them are in the aging there's an aging demographic there, so the social aspect is, is very prevalent to them. How did all that work during COVID? It must have been a terrible loss for a lot of uh, your members. It, it was. However, um, we as, a, as an executive decided that, you know, we have to keep people engaged because of that reason. So a lot of times we would not meet monthly in person, but we, we did virtual meetings and we also planned a lot of virtual events, like even talent shows, trivia, um, you know, music trivia, all kinds of different things like that, just to keep people engaged and to feel not so alone during that time. 
Is it tough to come up with uh, fun and engaging activities, or, or do people have their favorite things? Less? Yeah, let's do the talent show again. I love that. We do. We do rotate certain certain things. Um, we try to space it apart. Obviously, we're we're always trying to come up with new ideas, and, and we do a lot of fundraising too. The members are really great. Uh, simple one last year we did, just as <laughs> very simple. We create ask people to create a jar. And we raised like over three thousand dollars. The members did last year towards our games. So, like, they're obviously very motivated and very engaged. Our guest today on On Target is president of the EA Baker chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind, Karen Young. This, or not this, but it's coming up very, very soon, February 5th, as a matter of fact, and they got lots of activities planned, and we're going to talk about that uh, a little later on in the show. Um, February 5th to the 11th is White Cane Week here in Canada. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on YouTube. Your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is president of the EA Baker chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind, Karen Young. February 5th to the 11th is White Cane Week. And Karen, we'd uh, like to think we've come a long way, but are there any outstanding issues or challenges people with sight loss continue to face? Well, it's really all relative, you know. I mean, there's obviously... The regular normal barriers, you know, physical barriers. But, you know, we've tried to break down barriers over the years. And it's all about self-advocacy also. Uh, obviously, the more you can advocate for yourself, the better the better off you will be and more barriers you'll break down. People more willing to say, hey, um, I noticed this. Uh, uh, if you guys only change things around this way, make it easier for everybody? People are usually pretty accommodating. Once you explain the need, they're usually willing, most times willing to accommodate. We had a guest on our show before Christmas, actually. He grew up with uh, a congenital form of sight loss, and it got progressively worse as he got older. And he says he was able to mask or hide his vision loss throughout his childhood, but it wasn't until he got into the higher grades and he entered into the employment field that he realized that his sight loss was affecting his opportunities. Do you, do you find people with varying degrees of sight loss, you know, sort of soldier through until they realize... I need to do something here, or, or are people more willing to say, I know there's a problem? Well, I mean, most people, I mean, it's a, it's a common known fact that a lot of persons with uh, vision loss are not that gamefully employed. I have been very lucky. Um, I have been gamefully employed with the one company for 27 years. Um, but again, a lot of it is making sure that you're forthcoming, disclosing, uh, the more upfront you are, the probably the more successful you'll be in being able to work with people as opposed to not working with people, mainly employers um, and even the general public. Um, I think people are generally more accepting now than they were a few years ago, like everything, progression, the more barriers are broken down, the more accepting people are of you. And it's all about who you are and how you present yourself. Uh, obviously, if you present yourself well and you advocate for yourself, you'll probably be more successful. 
Are employers as a whole more accommodating nowadays? They are, absolutely. Well, at least that's been my experience. Um, Obviously, I had to move away to be able to, you know, take advantage of other opportunities. There's not as many here in this province. I mean, it has gotten better, but, you know, we would love to see it better than it is, right? What is preventable blindness? Preventable blindness would be things probably like macular degeneration, um, having those sorts of things monitored, uh, different medications that you'd be able to take to slow down the progression. Um, You know, glaucoma is another one whereby you'd be able to take medication to manage it and to slow down the progression. That would be my take. Is that um, what it leads to many of the cases of uh, vision loss that we see here in Newfoundland and Labrador? We already know there's a connection between glaucoma and diabetes, for instance, and we do have high diabetes rates in Newfoundland and Labrador. How aware are people of their sight health, I suppose? Well, I think we're getting better at it, for sure, Um, you know, uh, health-wise overall. Um, But the fact of the matter is we have a lot of aging seniors who do develop these sorts of conditions, and that's why, you know, CNIB and CCB are some of the outlets for them to be able to join something that is a little bit more meaningful and to be able to do things that perhaps they didn't think they could do. Uh, you mentioned preventable blindness. Um, uh, do we have uh, acceptable access to health care for people who notice vision loss? Oh, yes. There's lots of, I mean, you know, doctors here that, that you can certainly avail of that will, you know, um, monitor your, your eye health. And access to cataract surgery, I know that that was, has been a, a problem in the past, but it, uh, uh, some changes have been made there. Do you hear about people who are having trouble getting access to cataract surgery? I personally haven't heard of any, no. And uh, what about access to things like uh, sight aids? Well, yeah, definitely sight aids would be fall more under the CNIB category because they would be better apt to speak to different types of aids that would help, like, you know, like whether it's magnifying glasses or, you know, obviously um, today's world of, of technology, you know, smartphones, uh, voiceover, um, other assistive devices that would be able to basically allow you to function a little more normally than others who don't have sight loss. And uh, I know access to seeing eye dogs, the CNIB has been uh, very active in that area for quite some time now. Uh, do you, any of your members have trouble uh, accessing services because they don't have a seeing eye dog or a guide dog or conversely can't get into um, an area to do what they want to do because the, the animal is not allowed in? I have never encountered that. I have had a guide dog in the past, but I lived in Ontario. Um, there has been a couple of occasions, I think, where that's happened with cabs, etc. But having a guide dog is really a choice. Um, it's not something that's looked upon and saying, well, you have to have it. Uh, it's It depends on the individual. 
of how independent they really want to be. Um, a guide dog comes with an awful lot of work. Um, I know because I've had one. Um, they can be uh, a very good extension of your sight loss. Like most people you utilize a white cane. Uh, a guide dog is a, definitely a different form of travel. Um, there's a lot of work, but it can be very rewarding. Um, again, it it really depends on the person, and there's an awful lot of, of guide dog um, companies out there that uh, are certainly would welcome people applying. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of these schools um, have been experiencing a shortage of dogs due to COVID, so unfortunately there's a bit of a long waiting list for a lot of them right now. Are governments, uh, whether they be uh, federal, provincial, or municipal, getting better at um, uh, accommodating the needs of people with vision loss? That's a very loaded question. (laughs) Uh, I would think they're getting better. Um, There's always good work to be done. There's always room for improvement with any entity, right, as you know. So to say that we have achieved everything we need to, I would say no. There's definitely more work to be done, for sure. So February 5th to the 11th is um, uh, White Cane Week, and you have a a large number of activities planned, and I want to talk to you about that when we come back after the break. Our guest today on On Target is the president of the E.A. Baker chapter, sorry, of the Canadian Council for the Blind, Karen Young. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, Midnight on your VOCM. February 5th to the 11th is White Cane Week, and Karen Young is the president of the E.A. Baker chapter of the Canadian Council for the Blind here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And Karen, I know you have a lot of activities planned. What's dining in the dark? Glad you asked that question, Linda. Um, Dining in the Dark is our first initiative um, at such an event. Um, What we're doing is we're working in conjunction with Boston Pizza on Kelsey Drive. And they've kindly opened up our doors to us and our members um, to basically we're welcoming the public to come and share a meal with a lot of our members who will be in attendance And we're asking the public to wear a blindfold so they can have the true experience of what it means to live with a vision disability. So we will obviously help them out with the clock um, sequence of where things are in front of them. Um, And they'd have to obviously, uh, to to walk the true experience uh, when we go to a restaurant's we have to ask the waitress to read the actual menu. So we would ask that they would take part in the same sort of experience. So it it gives somebody an opportunity to really, truly experience what it feels like at the moment. I'm trying to visualize that myself. So you've got your glass of water, let's say. You've got your plate in front of you. You have your cutlery. Um, I mean, Boston Pizza, you might be eating pizza with your hands, but there's a good chance you might have ordered pasta. So how do you do that if you're not used to um, all those visual cues? <laughs> so, it, yeah, I can see how that would be rather challenging for somebody. Well, it's, it is fairly simple. Well, I guess I would call it simple because I'm so used to it. 
but we would um, try to orientate someone to the clock theory. So, you know, 12 o'clock is where your water is. Um, you know, 3 o'clock is, is your cutlery. Um, again, taking that one step forward, like your plate, um, obviously, you know, bread could be at, uh, at 1 o'clock. Um, you know, your, your pasta is at, you know, 6 o'clock. Uh, if you're ordering other items on the menu, then obviously you would explain to someone the placement of where those are on the plate and hope for the best. <laughs> Does it get challenging in a, in, a, in a busy restaurant situation? You've got a little bit of ambient music playing. There's a lot of people, maybe some people sitting nearby watching the game going, hey, you know, that kind of thing. And you're asking someone to read you the menu. Does that get a little challenging? Not really. I mean, it can, I suppose, if you're in a sports bar. Um, you know, obviously, noise is is a bit intrusive when you're trying to listen to somebody. Um, but most most people are pretty good about uh, you know raising their voice and or coming around individually to each person to uh, you know bend down closer so you can actually hear. So most most waitresses and, and venues are pretty good like that. So dining in the dark is is there is it a fundraiser or is it simply about awareness? It's simply about awareness. Um, yeah, we just want to be able to hopefully gain some engagement from the public to kind of, again, walk a mile in our shoes, see what it's like. Um, I mean, it can be a fun or it can be a daunting experience for some people. I guess it all depends on how you look at it. Indeed. I, like I, I'm trying to visualize myself uh, eating soup, for instance, or, or eating spaghetti uh, without those visual cues that I'm so used to, um, without, you know, making a complete mess <laughs> everywhere and uh, possibly even injuring others, <laughs> if you know well, what I mean. It's like, it's like anything, Linda. There's little tricks to the trade. So if I'm eating spaghetti, I will cut it up with my knife and fork so then I can scoop it as opposed to having it over my head. <laughs> right, and trying to just drop it into your mouth. <laughs> exactly. So there's little things like that can help you. And obviously, like, um, the key also, um, just to kind of enlighten you a little bit, when you are used to placement of something in front of you or beside you, Normally, when you can't see, you try to place it back in the same vicinity. So you're always, you know, gaining muscle memory of where things are. And that kind of helps you to to function. Like, I suppose, navigating the house when uh, after dark or during a um, power outage, you know approximately how many steps it takes to get to the the door, where the handle is, uh, uh, where the wall is compared to where you are in the hallway, those kinds of things. You're, you're already aware. You're just not thinking about it because you rely so heavily on your eyesight. Well, you're just focusing on it more at that point in time, right? to try to maneuver. So for us, it's it's a daily thing that's almost built in. Uh, do you get a lot of uh, people participating in it, uh, either for awareness or, or just to get that different perspective? Well, this is our first kick at the can, so I'm really hoping that we can gain uh, the engagement of the public and make it uh, a success because if it does work out to be a success, we, we, we may down the road at some point in time uh, utilize it um, as uh, a good avenue to do fundraising. 
So if you happen to be at Boston Pizza on Sunday, February 5th from 5 to 8 p.m. and you notice uh, people with blindfolds on, there's a good reason. Come join us. There you go. <laughs> Get your own blindfold. Join in. And you can RSVP to myself as well if, if you know, anyone wants to get more information, um, you know, want to join us, by all means, you can reach out to myself. Now, that's not the only activity you have happening during White Cane Week. What else is on the go? Well, Monday we have uh, the reading of the proclamation at Government House, and we have about half a dozen of our members going to be attending that. Um, Tuesday night we have um, a crib tournament uh, at the Lions Chalet on Bonaventure Avenue, and that is from 7 to 9.30, and that usually ends up being a lot of our members along with uh, Lions members who play crib competitively, uh, so that's usually a pretty fun night. Um, Friday the 10th, we have a an Academy Canada event happening from 9.30 to 12.30 at the CNIB, 70 Boulevard at the um, multi-purpose room. So there's going to be a representation there uh, from CCB and CNIB, as well as uh, students from Academy Canada. And again, it's more about an awareness, you know, uh, creating a network uh, for the students to have some exposure. They do have some trivia games, some other games, uh, different events that they that they um, they do during that time, and some conversation that's had back and forth, different experiences shared, etc. And then uh, on the 25th of February, we have our bowling competition because uh, we do have a, a bowling league. Um, so that is going to be taking place at St. Pat's Bowling Alley. I believe that's from 3 to 5.30 or thereabouts. I've got it so, in front of me, 3 to 5. Yeah, 3 to 5. So it's pretty pretty jam-packed week. Um, we always try to create some activities every year. I think this year is probably the most busiest one that we've had. And is it different now than it was through COVID? You must have had to put a lot of these activities on hold. Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, we weren't able to really get together at all. Um, So we're really now this year, uh, well, really for the last year, you could say, we've been slowly uh, getting together and and getting more in-person things happening But, you know, we were pretty good about keeping people engaged through COVID, and I think a lot of our members really appreciated that. So how is the Canadian Council for the Blind funded? Basically, um, for some of the bigger events, like the sports weekend, we did apply to uh, some corporate sponsorship. Uh, VOCM was also actually one of them that uh, gave us a grant, which we were much appreciative of. And uh, always, always can rely on VOCM. They've been a wonderful support for us over the years. Um, again, a lot of businesses gave over their time, money, um, you know, gift cards, etc. So we could do some fundraising with at different events. A lot of the members are really good about trying to focus on doing that because the more money we can raise, the more self-sufficient we can become. And all this money that we do raise goes back into planning events, mainly for the members. The unfortunate thing is we don't have a home as such to call our own. 
we don't have a physical home, so this is where the CNIB lends us the uh, multi-purpose room once a month so we can actually have our meetings. And a lot of it is done, you know, through phone calls and planning activities and reaching out to the members. So we're making it work. So we hosted the event last year, but when and where again is the Atlantic Sports and Recreation uh, competition? This year, it's uh, the weekend of the 19th to the 21st at Miramichi. That's in New Brunswick. In in February? Uh, no, in uh, in May. Oh, in May, so, of course, yes. Yeah. And uh, do you usually have good participation in that? We do. Again, it's a bit daunting for some because they've been trying to raise money to go. Obviously, you know, flights are, are a big expense. Um, a lot of the registration and banquet costs are funded through their fundraising and probably some of the hotel fees as well. Um, some of the members double or even triple up on the hotel, so it cuts down on cost. So the big thing is, is the flights, obviously, right? So, um, you know, we're trying to work through some of that. Um, the, I think the willingness is there and the eagerness is there. It's a bit of a... It's a bit of a an expense that, you know, you can't get around. So we're trying to work through some of that. Indeed. And I think any of us who have contemplated travel over the last little while can see how challenging that can be. Uh, so what kind of uh, sporting events does it typically um, feature? Well, usually on a Friday, uh, on a Friday evening, it's a talent show. Um, where people get together and obviously display their various talents, whether it's, you know, musical or whatever. Um, then Saturday, it's usually track and field, different events like shop put, uh, javelin, washer toss, a whole bunch of different track and field. There's some running. Um, then I think there's uh, a bowling in the afternoon on Saturdays. Uh, for those who don't want to take part, I think there's going to be a boat tour uh, in Miramichi this year, from my understanding. Um, then usually Saturday evenings, I think as well there's swimming in the afternoon. Um, Saturday evening there's usually a dance. Um, Sunday there's table bowling, darts, there's a crib tournament in the afternoon, and then uh, a banquet in the evening, and that usually wraps things up. You mentioned the expense of travel, but I imagine it's even greater because you would have to accommodate uh, a guide or some guides or your guide or whatever the case may be. Well, usually the airlines are pretty good. Uh, I know Air Canada, for example, does offer a two-for-one. So obviously, if you're bringing someone with you, that person would basically travel for tax only. So often on times, the members will do that and then split the costs so it's not as you know intrusive from an expense and financial aspect now you're located here in the st john's region but does the canadian council for the blind have chapters throughout the province or, or do you have access to programs for people outside of the metro area um, there is one in Corner Brook, and they usually try to do their own thing, uh, although in the past we have um, partnered with them. Um, there are other chapters in all the other Atlantic provinces, like PEI, Miramichi, uh, Halifax, and the list goes on. And um, again, our national uh, CCB chapter is in Ontario. 
Well, I really appreciate your time this afternoon and all the best now um, in White Cane Week. I hope there's a big crowd of people down at Boston Pizza on Sunday, February 5th from 5 to 8 p.m. to see what it's like to dine in the dark. Uh, Karen, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Linda. I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. No problem at all. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. And thanks for listening, everyone.